0: Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
1: Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. It is Sunday. I'm Scott Pianowski, one of your rotating hosts, as we meander through August. It's draft season. And we have a great guest today. We have a person who works for, I think, every site. Under the Sun, the Fantasy <laughs> University used to be uh, uh, of the employee of Yahoo Sports. You can currently read Michael Salfino at The Athletic. He's also an editor at BetPrep.com, which is an excellent site if you're interested in that type of stuff. Been a friend of mine for a long time. Don't hold that against him. Mike, how are you doing today?
0: Very good. Breakfast table podcast, too.
1: Sure. Absolutely. And well, at the end of the show, we'll, we'll go through all the different sites that Mike works for. we will probably take about 15 minutes. Because again, he's worked for just about everybody and he's been doing this for a really long time. So we're really lucky to have him today. Before we pick Mike's brain about what's going on in the NFL, I want you to know that, again, it's draft season. So go over to Yahoo Fantasy and and sign up for a football league. Maybe run a league yourself or sign up for another team. And we want you to know about Yahoo Fantasy Plus, which is something that we've introduced that we're really excited about. It's a way for you to stay a step ahead of the competition. There's a trade hub to help you analyze those swaps. There's a research assistant to help you with pickups all sorts of customizable cheat sheets, uh, just deeper extra features that are going to help you be the best Yahoo Fantasy player you can be. And you can try it for free. You can get a free trial at yahoo.com slash football. I've used it. They've, they've given us, thankfully, they've given us a free um, copy of this, a free uh, use of this. And I've been using it for my baseball leagues and Yahoo. It's, it's, it's a great time saver. It's going to help you utilize your time better. And it's going to help you be a better fantasy manager. And it's very affordable. So check out Yahoo Fantasy Plus. Again, you can get a free trial at yahoo.com slash fantasy football. And why not join another league or run commissioner another league today? Okay, Mike, let's uh, hit on some of the Preseason news. I, you know, I find these preseason games leave me a little cold because so many teams aren't playing the starters, or the starters are right. playing so briefly that I don't feel like there's really much of a takeaway. But there are a few things going on. Let's start with the Buffalo situation. Uh, they have Zach Moss, they have Devin Singletary in their backfield. Now we know this team is routed through their passing game, and Josh Allen's going to get a lot of the rushing touchdowns there anyway. So some people might not be that interested in Moss or Singletary. I did think it was interesting that Singletary got 18 of the first 20 snaps. In their most recent game, I know that you sent out your t- your very valuable tier rankings to Breakfast Table uh, members for the pre- the uh, Patreon members. Moss and Singletary were both in tier three for you. Is there, do you have a takeaway in the Buffalo backfield? Can you proactively draft either one of these guys? Does this snap count mean anything to you? What, what's your take on this situation?
0: Yeah, these guys are ideal for me because I tend to you know wait on running backs. So I kind of like uncertainty of this situation you know i kind of want to lean into this my view is similar to i guess what my view was on miles gaskin last week i think there are like extenuating factors that probably are the reason why singletary got all of those carries and i know you know we want to find meaning in all of the preseason clouds but i kind of think that um you know just given the fact that there was an injury involved. That's probably why Singletary had, you know, got such a relatively high unexpected workload early in that game.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Gaskin. He's also on the rundown here. They used a lot of Malcolm Brown for some reason last week. I don't really know why. I think we've seen a lot of Malcolm Brown over the years, and we know he's, to use one of your phrases, a ham and egger. And there were some really nice things about Gaskin's game last year. So I we thought, and then we've talked just in another you know, media on the, on the table podcast and just privately. that I think we both thought Gaskin had some upside. I was encouraged to see him get 71 yards uh, from scrimmage and two touchdowns just to kind of put the gavel down. Like, no, wait a minute. I'm the guy here. This isn't really a committee. I mean, they're going to use other backs, but at least, now, now the, the sad thing is not that Gaskin's price will probably rise a little bit. But if you wanted a show right. of faith, you know, a confidence game with Gaskin, I feel like you got it this weekend.
0: Yeah. My theory of the case last week was that Gaskin deferred to Brown just because Brown is a vet who's probably on the roster bubble. So if I'm a coach, I want to see how that guy looks with the first team before I cut him or... If I decide to keep him, I I didn't think that it was indicative of like a change in the pecking order at all. So, uh, you know, and that was but obviously there was a chance that it was indicative of a change in the pecking order. So you had to consider it a little bit. So, you know, if I moved Gaskin at all, it would have been almost like imperceptibly within the tier. So, um, you know, I think that this was just the reversion based basically to what we expected there to be this year as far as gaskins workload and i know that all the coaches always talk about you know we're going to get other running backs involved it's like of course what are they going to say like the other running backs are just going to sit there on their hands all year like i don't i don't know if it's fundamentally different for um the dolphins than it would be probably for like 22 of the 32 teams at least so in my view gaskin last year Based on the pro football focus metric, was I think seventh in expected fantasy points, which is a stat that I think is pretty good at figuring out like what the regression should be, and and the fact that Gaskin really only has to be average if he gets those kinds of opportunities again this year to be a, a very useful back in fantasy, I think is is something that um, you should that, that should boost his
1: ADP you remember, did he sneak into your running back two tier? I, I don't have it in front of me. I know that you've talked on the table podcast of being fairly high on Gaskin, or at least proactive, it sounded like, on Gaskin. Sure.
0: And, you know, I always rank guys where I think that they could jump a tier. Like, so, because, I, I, and we've talked about this extensively in the, on the breakfast table and just even backstage, but I think one of the most useless things, in fantasy football, the thing that's never won a championship for anybody in history is, or one dime is like RB13 in, in, in fantasy. You know, even if you cut it to RB12, like that's barely useful. You could pretty much stream that just with the typical waiver wire churn that you get in the course of a normal season. And just by being kind of proactive and aggressive on the waiver wire, even with zero pickups later in the season once you've burned through all the, your money it's not that hard in full PPR to find like the RB13 it was like Naheem Hines last year did anybody who had Hines last year did they say like oh my god i have got such an advantage in my league because i have Naheem Hines nobody
1: i don't So think. is that is that takeaway that you're avoiding the running back dead zone and you're going to go a lot more affordable when you fill that position is that what like the takeaway Yeah away?
0: yeah pretty much like i am burning through that now here's the thing like i i wrote an article for the athletic about this whole like flex nine flex 10 i didn't even know that this jargon really existed but basically what it is is you're flex nine if you're two wide receivers and a flex your flex 10 if you're three wide receivers and a flex and in the league that i just drafted today we have three wide receivers and two flexes and neither of those flexes are super flexes so the more flexes that you have and the more wide receivers that you play when you get that number up to four or five you're really devaluing especially in full ppr that running back position where basically you could just strangle teams with your wide receivers
1: yeah it's definitely one of my goals this year that i want to have even though you know i like to do the anchor strategy at running back where i yeah. get one really good one which but makes still a lot want- of sense I still want my wide receiver room to be among the strongest in the league. I want to feel like I'm beating you at wide receiver two. I'm beating you at wide receiver three. Maybe I have a flex receiver who's better than the other guy's flex receiver. Exactly. So, so, you know, as much as I actually did, I recently did a a draft with our friends over at NBC Sports Edge, and I did a a two running back build to start. And man, did I hate my team. I could not believe how much I did not like the receivers I had to, to get married to in like the fifth or sixth round. I'm like, oh, receiver's deep enough to withstand that. I don't think it was. And I had an early pick. So and, and I, I have like
0: I in the league that I just drafted. Judy is my third wide receiver, and I have Waller as my tight
1: end. Love that. Oh, I think Judy's. I'm glad you mentioned Judy because that transitions to, and, and you talked about the nebulous backfield in in Buffalo, and that as you kind of alluded to, that can present when we don't know what the answer is. When things are nebulous, that means there's a buying opportunity. There's a chance to be very right about something. Yes, and there are some teams that are nebulous on their quarterbacks. Now, I don't believe Washington when they say there's a competition there. I think Fitzpatrick's the guy. I think everybody thinks that uh, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the starter in Jacksonville, whatever they're saying now. We'll talk about the Jaguars extensively in the middle of our show. But two situations where we don't know who the quarterback is yet is we don't know what's going on in New Orleans with Winston and Hill, and we don't know what's going on in Denver with Bridgewater and Locke. Let's start in Denver first. Teddy Bridgewater got the start in the recent game, played pretty well. Locke didn't play well. You and I have both talked on the table before that we think Bridgewater is just, not that he's great, but he's clearly better than Locke but maybe there's a reason why they might start with Locke anyway. And so tell me how you decipher this quarterback situation. And really, is it a takeaway? Is is it better for Judy if one of these guys gets the job? Is it better yes. for Fant or Sutton? Just give me a sense of where you are with the Broncos.
0: Well, I think it was really interesting. In the last week, the ADP of Judy has been about 67th overall in NFFC leagues. And yesterday, Judy had a, a big catch, but Bridgewater seemed to cement his... Claim to the number one job. Uh, that would have been like sort of the, the top line takeaway from yesterday's Denver game. And as a result, in one of these two leagues, and there's a lot of experts in these leagues, it's like two 12-team leagues, and there's sort of a tournament, and it's full PPR. But Judy, went somebody got sniped, who wanted to take him 51st because somebody took him 47. So I think that that means, and I think the the market as it's reflected in, in, in this sort of you know expert draft, and I think the market is correct in thinking that Bridgewater would be better for Judy and also that Bridgewater probably is going to be the starting quarterback. Like, I'm at the point now where I would be surprised if he wasn't, just because I tweeted this today, too. Like, I I can't recall any non-first-round quarterback in history who's had as poor a record of performance as Locke and is still considered to be a prospect. Like, the guy was just a second-round pick. I don't understand, to me, like, Bridgewater's tailor-made for a team that considers itself to be a quasi-contender and just doesn't want to lose the game at quarterback.
1: And they probably have the infrastructure around him with still a decent defense and reasonable skill talent. That I I don't think they're a championship contender by any means, but they could tell themselves a story that maybe they could compete for a playoff Great skill
0: talent, you could argue.
1: Yeah, I I would agree with that. The only thing I worry about with Locke and and Bridgewater, I I took Bridgewater in the fishbowl. I'm a big Judy guy. I agree with you that Judy's better off with with Bridgewater. I just hope they don't get into a situation where they're going to measure multiple times and cut once, meaning – okay, let's just right. let's just give Locke his last chance. And the moment he, you know, wets the bed, we'll just give it to Bridgewater and you know, Locke's like out of our lives. Like they're just, they're just, they don't want to go to the bullpen and then go and change it again. So I, I wonder if maybe they'll give Locke the first chance to screw up and then they'll just kick him to the curb. Not, I mean, he'll still be on the roster, but then they'll say, you know, then they come out on a Monday or Tuesday, and say, yo, Teddy Bridgewater's our starter for the rest of the season or something like that.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably the best case scenario for Locke, but more importantly, as it relates to fantasy, probably for Cortland Sutton owners too. I think Sutton kind of needs a Chuck and Duckett quarterback versus a Bridgewater style quarterback. And I think that actually it would augur well for Sutton if Locke were to be the quarterback.
1: Well, I'm glad you used the phrase Chuck and Duckett because that gives me an easy entryway to the Saints situation because Jameis Winston is the, I mean, the 19, 2019, that's the king of, of Chuck and Duckett. He threw touchdown passes to his team. He threw yeah. touchdown passes to the other team. Including he ended that season with an overtime pick six to get to the 30th interception. I mean, that was scripted, you know? I mean, uh, he, yeah. this should be a 30 for 30, a 36 yeah. for 30 on Winston's season. But yeah. well, since then, he hasn't really played much. Uh, and now Drew Brees is gone. Taysom Hill, we you know, the the tinker toy of, of Sean Payton, who I got to admit, I thought he was a more legitimate quarterback last year than I wanted to admit. I thought he was going to fall on his face. I was part right. of the the angry Twitter mob that would mock Taysom Hill constantly. Me too. Taysom Hill, yeah. Back, yeah, he ended up being okay. I don't really know what's going to go on here. Um, you know, in some best balls, I've been taking Taysom Hill late just because it's like, okay, it could work out. And if it and doesn't, He could be, so here's what? the
0: thing. Like, Hill could be like QB7 if he
1: starts. He could. He could also be like, yeah. you know, he could start five games. I, I don't know what to do with this. And also, with this offense, right? Well, oh, Kamara's fine. Some people will take him in the first round. Some people, you might prefer a different back. We're not here to debate that, but... The Thomas situation really got ugly. He's hurt. They wanted him, sounds like, to have surgery. He wasn't returning calls or texts from the team. That just looks like a divorce that just the paperwork hasn't been filed yet. And you look at the rest of the town. Like, so many players on this team are hurt right now. I don't know if Trey smith is ever going to pop. Callaway is okay, but is there any really upside there? I can't remember the last time I looked at the Saints offense and wanted no part of it. Understanding that Hill is interesting. But this is I've never been this right. in this place with Sean Payton, so it makes some sense of the Saints for me,
0: see, I think you just made the case for Taysom Hill to be the quarterback pretty much, you know because if you have to win with that style of football it's it's kind of like remember how the Giants won a Super Bowl with Hostetler like they could win like that. they have those kind of pieces in place where they could do that um where they could focus on playing defense and winning with the running game so
1: Dare I say it, might it, it be, might be a little bit like the Tim Tebow 2011 Broncos.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and, but I think, you know, Hill did complete like 71% of his passes last year. Right. And and the advanced film analysis of that interception that we all saw that was like, oh, my God, Taysom Hill, how could you throw this pig? This is why he's horrible. That actually was the receiver's fault. The receiver should have run through. He, he sat in a wide open green space where he should have just kept running. To get the first down. So so according to that analysis by the former quarterbacks that are all over the place now, that was not on Hill whatsoever. You know, obviously I I have a share, I have shares in, in Hill, especially in deeper super flex leagues where he was pretty much free early in the draft season. So I guess I'm sort of rooting for it. But I just drafted him even today. Like I fully expect that Hill is going to be the quarterback. If he's not, I'll just cut him. It won't matter. But the chance to get in a real deep league, a quarterback who could be easily a top 10 quarterback with his running ability is, I think,
1: too tempting to to pass up. Other than the quarterbacks and other than Kamara, is there anybody on this offense you think you'll proactively draft into? By the way, I think that it might be
0: bad for Kamara no matter what happens, because at a minimum, Hill is going to be used on the goal line. And we've seen with the Patriots where Cam Newton really now is more of like a short, short yardage goal line runner he's not really like sort of a proactive between the 20s a chunk yardage kind of runner at this point of his career
1: he's at like least cl- not- he's like a closer for them right he doesn't pitch innings yeah. anymore
0: but the thing is when you get that 11 on 11 in that in that short area of the field near the uh end zone that's a huge advantage for an offense so like why wouldn't they
1: lean into that very heavily yeah, it's kind of like a free spin. Could you see yourself drafting any of the receivers or a tight end here? No. Thomas, I, 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 Thomas yeah. off your board pretty much?
0: Yeah, I don't think that you could draft Thomas. I think, like, in most formats, unless you're playing somewhere ridiculously deep or in a best ball where it doesn't matter, like, you know, you're holding everybody basically, there's no transactions. I think that in. 85% of the leagues where Thomas was drafted, he'll be cut. Yeah. The roster shifts. space
1: is just too valuable. And the problem when you draft hurt players is that you're going to have more hurt players because the season's going to get played. And that's yeah. just the way football goes. Plus we're, we're still in the middle of a health situation. That could be a, a wrench into the season. I don't know that it will exactly. be, but we have to factor in that it might be. So I don't want to, I don't want to play a man down, which is what you're doing with Michael Thomas. And I know it's all nice to say, well, wait, wait a minute, I'm going to be eight and two and then I'll get him in the playoffs. I OK, if you want to play that way, fine. I just think it's a mistake. To, right, but, to play you, but you might be
0: able to get that in, in week eight off waivers.
1: It's possible. Or the guy who has Thomas. Yeah. This is another situation. The guy who has Thomas may be four and six, and he can't wait anymore, or three and five or whatever it is. And he may have to sell him at a real, you know, where you're getting him essentially for, for nothing. So that may be a possibility as well. So let's pivot to the main part of our show. And a lot of coaching changes, a lot of new teams, a lot of new quarterbacks. And we're gonna talk about three of the teams that have overhauled everything. We're gonna talk about the Jaguars today, the Lions today, the Jets today. Of course, we, we, we have Michael Safino on. We gotta get some Jets takes. Yeah. But let's start in Jacksonville. Okay. I don't I don't know really know what to make of this team. I think Lawrence is gonna be a good player. I'm not sure how good right away. There's differing ideas on on Urban Meyer. Some people say, hey, wait, you know, he was great at Florida, he was great at Ohio State. And the people were like, well, you know, some of the things he says, some of the things he seems to value may mm-hmm. not translate to the NFL. I like the joke. Is he urban myth or urban legend? I guess we'll find yeah. out this year. And you have a team where, look, James Robinson was great last year, but this team, this new infrastructure did not, they inherited James Robinson. They didn't go out and get him and, and you know, make, you hold hands with him for a year. They went out and drafted Travis Etienne. They have a nebulous situation with their wide receivers. So I'll just throw it to you open-ended and go anywhere you want, whether it's the coaching or the players. I think Jacksonville has the potential to be a fun team. I also think they have the potential to be like a four and thirteen team. What do you make of the Jaguars?
0: Well, there, there's no debating his uh, Urban Meyer's offensive acumen. I mean, he's been successful at every stop. So I'm sure, he can green design, Utah, I'm, sure. I'm sure he can design a, a, a good NFL offense. I don't know if those concepts will necessarily work in the NFL, but I'm sure he'll find things that work. The concern, obviously, though, is that he seems to be leaning into a lot of college principles as it relates to roster building and lineup decisions that probably aren't as relevant as they are in college football, just because the players are older. So I don't know necessarily like what I think there is a lot of opportunity on the Jaguars. I don't understand like why they just haven't named Lawrence the starter. I think that that's kind of like a donkey move. Like, what is the point? You know, even Lawrence is like, I could use some more reps. Basically he's almost like begging for them. What is, why is, is this a debate with Gardner Minshew? Like what message are you sending? Well, are they
1: going to trip up the first week opponent? They won't know who to prepare for it. Come <laughs>
0: yeah. On. I mean, it's, it's, it's silly. Right. And then we also don't know in an urban Meyer in college, you really wanted the slot receiver. But I don't know if that's going to hold up in the NFL, you know, where really it's the outside guys and especially the X receiver, who's um, sort of foundational first read type of player in the NFL. You have to make more first reads than you probably have to do in college just because the, the pass rushes are more uniformly better. But I think that that means that there's opportunity there. Like, DJ Chark was somebody I was fading at his earlier uh, ADP in the draft season. But now he's come down to pretty much where LaVisca Chenault is being drafted. And Marvin Jones, they're all lumped together. And I could see a case for either of them. Like, I'm sort of agnostic as to who to get. I'd rather get the cheaper guy. But I would be excited, really, about the cheapest guy in, in that situation. But I would have, like, no confidence that that's going to be the right answer. It's just that I want to pay the least amount so I have the most profit if that ends up being correct. Like, I get the case from Arvin Jones, too.
1: What do you do with the backfield?
0: I think you, you're seemingly on board with Robinson is the value, and I would agree with that. I think Ann is too pricey right now. Like, I see him going off in the third round, and I just, like, to me that is a dead zone player being drafted in the dead zone. There are some guys in the dead zone where it's like, you know, Henderson on the Rams are just like, well, you know, I could see that pick beating me. Like I'm a little worried yeah. about that yeah. when somebody takes Henderson. I'm not worried when somebody takes Eddie N, I'm just like, whatever, dude, knock yourself out.
1: The thing about Robinson and ETN, and I think it's important to underscore is it's one of these cases where they play the same position on the roster on the, you know, but they don't really play the same position. Their, their styles are so different. Right. I don't think they necessarily get in each other's way. And I think Robinson proved that he's good enough that he's going to have some role. I mean, maybe ETN will spread his wings in the middle of the year, late in the year. We saw last year those rookie running backs really got cooking in the second half of the year. I wonder if that's kind of a new paradigm for rookie running backs. But I don't I don't think Robinson has he's in danger of being mothballed. It's just a matter of what his role will be. And right. the market has adjusted to where he can give back a lot of what he did last year and still make you no, like you I'm not saying you have to draft James Robinson. And I'm not certainly not. Nobody walks through a, a draft and say, oh, coming home with James Robinson today. But I think you could draft him. I'm open to it. I, I, I won't go as yeah. far as to say he's a proactive pick. But if the rest of the room is going to just hands off stink player, I don't want this guy, then fine. I'll he's a zero running guy. back
0: now, yeah. Robinson. So if you could get him in like the eighth round, I mean, to me, that's comparable to Leonard Fournette. But I, I think somebody who the mark, you probably feel a little bit better owning
1: Robinson than you do Fournette. Well, I wonder if there's any chance I've always thought Gio Bernard was uh, people made him out to be something that he wasn't. He's an okay player, but man, he yeah. just kind of seemed like he could be the James White of the Buccaneers. And we know how, how much Brady loved. I mean, Brady was like, James White has to be on the field. I'm afraid Bernard might settle into that.
0: I'm pretty sure that that's going to be the case, you know, but they're, they're also a team that's going to be playing with the lead a lot. They there's sure There's opportunities for, I'm not saying he's going to be uh, like Legarrette Blunt was that one year, but there's touchdowns. opportunities there for uh, somebody to get a lot of goal line work and a lot of closing uh, runs and wins.
1: Yeah, I, I actually I actually think he could be a again. 18 touchdowns sounds like a, a big ask, but I could see the Blunt comp working out where he's the Blunt and Bernard is the White, and maybe Ronald Jones gets squeezed out. I also I yeah, cannot... Jones is the guy that I just
0: can't. It's hard for me to envision a
1: designed role for Jones on this team. You know what's crazy with that team? I, it's, we'll transition to the Lions and Jets in a second, but I can't remember in the salary cap era, a team winning the Super Bowl and bringing everybody back, all their primary they, – they bring back every one of their starters, I believe. That's absurd. How do you do that?
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, it's one of those things. I have a contrarian nature, and so I wonder – is it good to just get a little bit of new blood? Like, I don't, I know you don't want r- radical turnover, but is it good to have just like maybe like a handful of starters who are new to the team just to keep things kind of fresh?
1: Maybe, maybe that's what, maybe took, maybe that's what Antonio, to Brown, maybe Antonio Brown is trying to do that. He's trying to spark. Yeah. He's afraid the <laughs> right. team will get too complacent. So he, he wants there to be some, some juice going on, some, you know, a story to tell or whatever. But yeah. I hear you. I mean, you worry about complacency. And I, I would worry about the Buccaneers. Just look at this division. Not with Brady
0: and feel- so, so much. Brady's got a, a good, but I'm, I'm just thinking maybe it would be better if there were a handful of guys,
1: perhaps yeah, that were you new don't to want the guys to come in experience. On Man, they got to look at that yeah. division and feel like, how could we not win this? But hey, teams flop up. The NFL, right now, there are like three or four teams you think they're good that won't be good. And there are three or four teams you think are horrible that are going to be good. Who yeah. knows? Maybe, maybe one of those teams is, is the Lions. I don't think so, but I'll, I'll let you see what you say about that. So Dan Campbell takes over the former tight end, Jerry Goff, you know, they couldn't wait to get him off the chart of uh, the uh, Rams roster and Sean McVay's get a new quarterback. Now, I think the tough call here is the backfield because Swift looked like a special player last year, but they drafted, uh, I'm sorry, traded for Jamal Williams or uh, acquired him. I, maybe they signed him. I forget how they got Williams, but they got him.
0: Uh, free they, agency. It was free
1: agency. They're talking about this. Like it's going to be a one in one a, and and maybe Williams could, yeah. could get 50, 55% of the work. Swift's a little dinged up, too. Are you drafting proactively into either Jamal Williams or DeAndre Swift?
0: It's weird. They're sort of like the anti-Jets, because there are two players who have, who the market is actually enthused about, and I just don't understand it. I don't see a rationale for it whatsoever, because even though they are a team that we could say is brand spanking new, we kind of know who Jared Goff is, right? So.
1: There's no upside left with golf, I don't think. You right? don't
0: think it's going to be better for him with the Lions than it was in LA, right? So Swift's ADP, and you know, his over-under is 8.5 rushing touchdowns. Not total touchdowns, rushing touchdowns. Sounds like high. to me, that is a screaming under. Like you should always think of the under in all these bets. But as it relates to fantasy, people may be expecting. Way more touchdown equity out of Swift than is reasonable because those receiving touchdowns are ephemeral. Like they're hard to really predict. And so, like the historic performance at any point of a season, even as far as like if a guy has four receiving touchdowns in week eight, like you don't say, oh, I think he's going to get eight receiving touchdowns. Like right. he could get none for the rest of the year. And it's not even surprising, right? And I looked it up in losses, and people expect the lions to go under six wins i think is their over under and i think there's juice on the under in losses running backs average one rushing touchdown every 33 rushing attempts that is like a scary number but it makes sense right because you're losing so there's less touchdowns
1: Yeah, i look at swift it's like do we trust the team no do we trust the quarterback no is he the automatic goal line guy not necessarily i can certainly see a case where jamal williams has more rushing touchdowns because He stylistically
0: a third. right? Remember this
1: hired a tight end coach, right? You think, you think Dan Campbell is like, Oh yeah, let's get really exotic at the goal line. He's going to be like, no, 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 let's bring the beef out. Let's power through with Jamal Williams, our sledgehammer. He wants a sledgehammer at the goal line. I mean, I, I guess I could be proven wrong on that. He's not gonna be calling the plays, but I would think they acquired Williams thinking he's there. He's the thunder you know, or the power back, whatever you want to call it. So I just think, and and Swift's a little bit dinged up too. I think he's just a a quicksand player, a banana peel waiting to happen. The other call we have to make here, the other player of interest is TJ Hawkinson. We like tight ends in season three. And there's kind of a chicken egg thing with him where on one hand you're like, hey, probably lead the team in targets. Maybe lead the team in red zone targets. The wide receiver room is really, really weak. But then you say, well, wait a minute. Um, what if teams say we're off the bus? We're not TJ Hawkinson's not beating us. You can beat us with those wide receivers. Maybe he'd be easy to eliminate from a game. How do you feel about a player like that? And can he offset the talent deficiency in his own roster?
0: Yeah, that's exactly it. Like, I think he's the type of he he's not a a wide receiver with a tight end designation like Waller, right? Waller doesn't really need – he could be the number one guy, and it's like you still can't stop. The guy's basically a wide receiver. It's kind of ridiculous that we even call him a tight end. Sure. But Hawkinson is true tight end. I mean, he's an all-around player. He So he needs somebody like a Tyree Kill. He needs somebody that the defense will worry about more than him so that he can catch seven passes for 91 yards in the touchdown. And the, and the defense will be like, okay, whatever. We could live with that because we stopped this other thing. But if there's no other thing, then you worry that there's going to be games where we're in the second half of the Lions game and fantasy Twitter is screaming because there's no targets for Hawkinson. Right. But the reason why there's no top targets is because he's getting bracketed and there's nowhere, you know, Goff's a veteran. He's not going to just throw it into double coverage.
1: Right, yeah, it sure seems like he, he's a guy they could eliminate if they want to, and the receivers might be weak enough that they have to play it that way. So I, I totally agree with you that, that I think he's somebody – as much as I love the talent – look, you know, Iowa's produced some great tight ends. You I know, also went to Iowa, George Kittle, who were, we've always been big fans of. And I'll toot the breakfast table horn. The year he busted out, we were screaming. We were begging people to draft yeah. George Kittle, and you were getting them at a really nice price too. So uh, Yeah, he was Hawke- a tight end 15 that year. I, I love Hawkinson, the player. Do not love the situation. Well, you have Michael Safino on the show. you got to talk some Jets. And I know that Zach Wilson won us both over when he gave that quote. where he's like, look, look, practice. He threw an interception in practice or something. He's like, well, that's what practice is for. You're testing boundaries. You're seeing what you can get away with. And I, yeah. as soon as I heard that, and he just said it very calmly. He wasn't defensive. And I think about the Adam Gase era. We, we talk a lot about you and I've talked about how he, Adam Gase lost the jets at the press conference when he was just defensive and he was always antagonistic. And I think this new regime, I don't think they think that way. I think so. was a good hire. I, I know they, they've, uh, they don't have everything the way they want, uh, everything lined up, but it's a lot of skill talent here. I think Wilson has a chance to be a good player. There's so much crowding with the receivers and running backs. I'm not really sure what to do. You know, the jets more than, and better than I ever will. So I'm just going to hand this over to you. Uh, how are we handling for fantasy, the 2021 New York Jets? To me, it's
0: Corey Davis, no matter uh, whatever it takes. It's like no draft day. What? <laughs> like he's on my, you know, I, I have the, the note in my pocket. Remember, we're a
1: family show, so you can't make a pancake joke here. I know you're dying to, but you can't exactly,
0: do it. Exactly, right. So the fact that he's coming off the board now, at like wide receiver 50, 52, 54, I think that, that the cat's out of the bag because yesterday – Wilson was just throwing to Davis pretty much on every play and Wilson looked great. Davis looked great. And I know it was the Packers backups, but when you hear what Tony Romo said yesterday, that's making the rounds on Twitter about how this is like a generational player like Dan Marino and, and Zach Wilson, when you hear the things that Chris Sims, who, you know, gets made fun of, but the guy's been right about a lot of quarterbacks, including Mahomes. So when he is planting a flag, you know, I take note of that. I I think he qualifies as an expert. And also Rogers said how impressed he was. And he noted that on that first touchdown to Croft, which is like amazing. I thought that maybe this happened, but it didn't seem that it was possible for a rookie player. But he purposely threw the ball behind Croft on his uh, touchdown, his first touchdown in the NFL, because Croft was if he would have hit him in stride, Croft would have got pounded by the safety. Right. But to have like that level of awareness is like crazy for a rookie quarterback. And I don't care. Even with backups, the game is very fast. So I want to see more of it, but I think that Corey Davis is just somebody you, if you could just walk away from your draft with Davis, anywhere near his wide receiver ADP, I think you're just like stealing money because I would be shocked if Corey Davis doesn't end up with a, in a healthy season with 220 fantasy points in PPR.
1: I agree, I Davis is a great value, and I've been trying to get him where I can. It's it's funny with Wilson, just because he was drafted in a year with so many other marquee quarterbacks in, in the first round, and because Trey Lance has become just such a tinker toy for all of Twitter, people just can't wait. I, mean, I think Trey Lance has a chance to be very good, but people can't wait for him to come, come on the field in week three and be Steve Young. I mean, I, I think the right. expectations have gotten a little bit crazy. People are excited, could be obviously. Weak, it could be
0: week 17, by the way, when he comes could on be, the field. could be. I mean, yeah.
1: they, have, they have the infrastructure to win with Jimmy Garoppolo. How are they going to bench Garoppolo? if they, they have a very weak schedule. I'm not a schedule. Yeah, they're six to, and one. I'm not a strength of schedule guy, but their strength of schedule looks like Kyle Shanahan was allowed to pick 17 right. opponents. It it just doesn't seem right. Uh, is there a Jets running back on the roster that you're proactively willing to take?
0: I think right now it's Ty Johnson, just because he's a free pocket pick. He's not even being drafted. I think, and I, and I want to, you know, I'm not criticizing the site, but one of the major sites has projected Ty Johnson for 27 carries this year. I'm telling you, sounds low. If he's healthy, barring injury, and he had a 100-yard rushing game last year like on a bunch of carries against the Raiders where he was really good, Ty Johnson's going to get 227 carries. Like He's going to get a lot of carries. I don't really have confidence in Coleman, although I could see, to me, Michael Carter is going to be the guy that is really going to win leagues for you down the stretch and in the second half, especially in December, but probably is going to end up getting cut before then.
1: So, again, we talked about last year, right? I mean, Taylor got hot late. Swift got hot late. A lot of the rookies popped late. But, you know, maybe he may have to be a wait and see. And, again, it's, it's if you have the benefit of holding on your roster that long because, you know, the buys are going to come up. There some weeks where it's, it's like six teams don't play. You're going to have – and, again, what if, you know, injuries hit? What if COVID hits? I mean, you could have a lot of roster juggling. You may not have the benefit of waiting and Carter's,
0: that Carter's, I, I want to say, too, Carter's third team right now. And uh, it seems like Johnson and Coleman are kind of splitting the starting
1: job. So obviously these three teams we've been talking about, the Jaguars, the Lions, and the Jets, getting the wisdom of Michael Salfino, all new coaches, all new coordinators. And I wonder, maybe this is a silly question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I, mean, I want to get a sense of you of, do we overrate, underrate, or, or properly rate what how, how coaching matters? I mean, Kyle Shanahan, they draft... A rookie running back and, and we, we get all excited. Maybe Trey Sermon's gonna be a league winner because he's in a Shanahan offense. I've slipped on the McCole Hardman banana peel last year in part because he's in an Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes offense. Adam Gase famously, you know, we we like, oh I don't want to touch Adam Gase players, but the moment they get out away from his clutches, you know, maybe they become good again we put too much stock in this. And I also wonder with the new coaches, you're Arthur Smith in Atlanta, Nick Sariani in Philadelphia, uh, Brandon Staley got the charger job. Uh, Anthony Lynn's actually in Detroit now. And Joe Lombardi, who was with the Saints forever. He's the OC now. I-, I wonder if there's a McVay here. If there's somebody that we're a year from now, we're going to be like, oh, yeah, this is like a guy we want to line up and bet on what he's betting on. Or do you think Other than a lot of times we talk on the breakfast table about if it's not an outlier, don't worry about it. Like, you know, a team is 13th against uh, tight ends or something. Who cares? Just tell me who's awful at it, who's great at it. How do do we do as a fantasy industry with evaluating coaching? Do you think we make too big of a deal out of it? Do you think we get it right? What's your sense of that?
0: I don't think we make a big enough deal about it. Okay, really. And I, I spoke to for an article I wrote for The Wall Street Journal. I spoke to Bill Parcells a couple of years ago before one of the drafts. And he said that player failures in the NFL draft are not on the player. They're on the coaching and the organization. And the point that he was making was that the organization needs to have a vision for the player. And it has to place the player with the coach, a player that the coaches had previous success with. So I know on the um, uh, on the script we have Nikhil Harry right so <laughs> I'm not I allowed understand. to talk about
1: Nikhil Harry because I take the show I, off the rails I,
0: I understand the whole point but just hear me out here maybe it's not on Nikhil Harry maybe Nikhil Harry was the worst possible fit for a precision passing game on the Patriots maybe he's a fit for a team that is going to have a downfield you know, when we get single coverage, we're just going to try to win fifty-fifty balls, and we're going to have that. Kind of, like, we don't need precise route running on our in our offense. Maybe if Kenny Galladay, Kenny Galladay, maybe if he was drafted by the Patriots in that draft, maybe he would have been a failure as well, because he's a similar player who doesn't really mesh with that Earhart, you know, precision game. So, if you have an offense like that, why would you draft a player? who's not a precise route runner? Like, is that on the player or is that on the GM and the
1: coach? I mean, I know this is an extreme example, and this is the second time I'm going to mention a quarterback who played far before the lifetime of a lot of our listeners. But Steve Young was horrendous on the Buccaneers. I mean, he looked, he looked right. like he didn't belong in the league. And then he goes to the 49ers and he becomes a walk-in Hall of Famer. And, and he was
0: great in the USFL, too, by the way. He was,
1: fact. too, yeah, for yeah. the LA Express had that great shootout with Jim Kelly. They, they, if you get a chance to rewatch that USFL documentary, it's it's pretty good. Pretty good thirty for yeah, thirty. Yeah, I agree. Is there so is there one new coaching staff that you're really excited about? i I'll tell you who I'm excited about. The Lombardi. Not, it's hard to know when when a coach is under a godfather coach. Like I, I, we saw, like Mark, Matt Nagy right is in Chicago right now, and he he coached under Andy Reid but it's Andy Reid's offense. So I never really knew how much of, of that was naggy. And I know a lot of people talked about Eric Bienemy being a hot right. candidate. Why hasn't he been hired yet? I, I think it's an excellent chance Bienemy could be a great coach, but it's hard for me to know when most of the offense is Andy Reid's DNA. Famously, the Belichick coaching tree has done almost nothing. Brian Flores is trying to break through, and I think he's doing a great job in Miami, but the overall success of that group is horrendous. But that said – Joe Lombardi must have learned something working with, with Sean Payton all those years. And now he steps into a team where there's so much talent. They have their generational quarterback now, so they, they can, you know, fit the rest of the roster the way they want. They have, they have the like salary that Alvin, makes sense. They I, I, have like look, an
0: Alvin Kamara, basically. They do. Right? They do.
1: Yeah. I've been wrong on this before. I've been like Charlie Brown with the football, thinking this is the year the Chargers just, you know, spanked the NFL. But I'm talking myself into maybe they could win that division. Maybe they could go to the Super Bowl, that they could be a, a hot team that could take a jump because maybe they finally got the coaching right. Uh, do you agree with me on that? Or is there a coaching staff that has caught you? Maybe Arthur Smith is that guy. Maybe the Jets staff you're excited about. Uh, give me a sense of how you feel about some of these rookie coaching staffs.
0: I am excited about the Chargers. And I always want to say San Diego, but I'm not going yeah. to, okay? Open so leaders. I am excited. I, I, I'm totally on board with what you're saying. It, it seems like a really good fit with uh, like like I was talking about before you have a coach who's had a successful history with a certain player type he seems to have comparable player types in this new environment right Um, the other situation as relates to fantasy that I'm excited about is the Arthur Smith situation in Atlanta because like what did Arthur Smith succeed with in Tennessee right Uh, his passing game was built on receivers who could physically dominate So what do they do? They go draft Kyle Pitts, who, although we're calling him a tight end, is really a wide receiver. He's the Julio Jones replacement. They knew they were losing Jones. So they got the guy that they thought could replace Jones. Whether They're calling him a tight end just because that makes a lot of sense for future salary cap reasons, right? But he's going to be lined up. He's not going to have his hand in the ground that much. So he's going to be filling that Julio Jones role and now you have an offense like Arthur Smith likes to design play action passes where there's max protection and two receivers running in the pattern and you know when one of those guys is Kyle Pitts that's a real tough spot for the defense so i think that Pitts is going to be like you know uh, uh, even on a receiver scale on a rookie wide receiver scale i think he's going to um crack 1100 yards and you know like
1: Seventy catches. This so we're year. definitely giving. I agree with you. We're giving Arthur Smith the ban of the doubt for the fine work he did in Tennessee. Remember, too, he's going to get a lot of the credit for Tannehill's resurgence. Tannehill was considered. Tannehill wasn't even the starter when they signed him. They still had Marcus right. Mariota, and then eventually he flipped into now he's considered a plus quarterback. And I think he's a pretty good player. I you know maybe again and maybe. Matt
0: Ryan. I think is a good you know like it's not like Matt Ryan. Although he doesn't run like Tannehill, will definitely execute the plays that present themselves on the field. If something's open, he's not going to blow it.
1: So I think we agree on that charger and Falcon coaching staff upgrades, and we're excited to see what happens with those teams. You mentioned Pitts. So let's finish the show with just get a couple of your tier takes. Now, if you're a breakfast table, premium subscriber you get access to michael's tiers, and i just did some vetting of these last couple of days and you had four tight ends in the in the top tier the three everybody has and then kyle pitts to which i would say and you just talked about a really lofty expectation for pitts to the point that i would think that you might go into a draft just being like i'm not even going to consider kelsey or kittle or waller because i just might like pitts more than everybody else i mean you're that confident he's going to pop well the thing is i think you to be guaranteed to have Pitts, draft order, as we always say, is destiny, destiny right? Draft
0: yep. slot yep. is destiny, right? So if you're at the top of the draft, you're going to get Waller. If you're if you're a guy who believes in tight uh, elite tight ends, it's going to be there for you. That's who you're going to get. If you're in the middle of the draft, you're going to get Kelsey. And if you're at the end of the draft, you're going to get Pitts for sure because Pitts is pretty much going at that third, fourth round, you know, somebody aggressively, and you're certainly not going to come all the way back and get him if you pass him at the three, four turn. So that's pretty much how the strata works out. Now, Kittle is kind of like the oddball in that if for some reason you don't get Waller at the top of the draft, you're definitely going to get Kittle. So I think you could feel really good. That's the reason why I I really lean into this elite tight end strategy, not just because of the enhanced win probability that it's mathematically proven to, to give people, but no matter what your format and the shallower your format are is actually the more important that tight end position is because everybody has to play one anyway. Right? So no matter where you are slotted in the draft, you can execute an elite tight end strategy.
1: Right. And and you make such a great point when the ADPs become crystallized enough for these players, you know, when your draft slot falls, if somebody makes sense for you, you, you certain players just aren't going to, you, you have the number two pick. You, you're never getting Travis Kelsey. Cause you won't justify him at two. He'll never get to you at 22. Exactly. It, it, that actually is true with the other three tight ends that we mentioned. So as you said, because of the way they're assorted, you can actually execute the strategy with any of them in any draft slot. Most leagues. I mean, always and, and be here, one. And,
0: here's, and the great thing about it too, is half the league is going to be, I don't even care about tight end. I'm punting tight ends. It's kind of like closers almost, but it's not like closers at all because a tight, an elite tight end is such an advantage. If you get a guy who could contend to be like the tight end two, the second tight end in fantasy football, you, are, you just have a massive advantage over the field.
1: I think the other problem here, and where maybe people trip themselves up, we talked about Kittle earlier the year he popped. He was outside the top 10 at the position. And the year Mark Andrews popped, he was that guy. So I yes. think the market might have gotten too cocky of like, oh, wait a minute, there's going to be a Kittle, there's going to be an Andrews, I'll keep drafting that guy. And I don't think those guys exist. I mean, there are tight ends I could talk myself into at every tier. But when you yeah. move down a tier or two, you're hoping, like if you if you draft Anthony Ferkser, you're praying for 640 yards and six touchdowns. There's no upside to that.
0: You know what it's like? It's like the the Monty Hall problem, right? right. Where you illustrate the, the Monty Hall problem to somebody because you say, well, what if there's 100 doors? and he opens 99 of them, right? So tight end is kind of like that. Like, you finding the guy in the in the middle or late in the draft after the first five or six tight ends are off the board, the guy who's going to rise, it could be anybody. Like, your chances of finding that guy are so slim that you might as well just sit it out. There's a very good chance that that guy is going to be found on the waiver wire. You know, the last three years on average, the tight end three has been – If I recall correctly, the 33rd tight end taken off the board. So, you know, like nobody was drafting like Logan Thomas last year, right?
1: I do like Logan Thomas this year, by the way, even though he's kind of old for a breakout. Right.
0: But what I mean is there's going to be a Logan Thomas this year that comes out of from nowhere. So you might as well. My feeling with tight end is go big or go home.
1: If you go home, is there somebody who's affordable who you could see yourself drafting?
0: I mean, like I said, I think the chances of me finding that guy are slim, but of course I'm going to try. I kind of like Jared Cook this year for some of the reasons that you cited. Like to me, there's nobody that I can say for sure is going to be a solid red zone weapon for the Chargers. And I do expect Herbert to throw for 34 touchdowns. So it's just a math problem at this point. It's like, well, where are the touchdowns coming? Somebody's got to, you know, somebody's going to get an outsized sample of touchdowns in that offense.
1: And we know generally, for whatever reason, it never seems to be um, Allen, even though he's a great player, but he never seems yeah. to be a big touchdown guy.
0: Right. And Williams has been like, you know, a guy who's had double digit touchdowns and a guy who's zero. had zero touchdowns.
1: <laughs> what a, His career just doesn't <laughs> make any sense. We, we're running little bit low on time with Michael Salfino, but I want to get one more set of takes from him. He put out his running back tiers. Again, you can get this as part of the breakfast table. Patreon is very affordable, and if you've enjoyed this conversation, I think you would like that show. You had 11 running backs in your tier one. Uh, They did include Harris, Mixon, and CEH. They did not include Eckler, Barkley, and Chubb. We don't have time to talk about all six of them, but maybe talk about one of the three of Harris, Mixon and CEH, why they are in your first tier and maybe talk about why you may not be as hot about Eckler, Barkley or Chubb.
0: Eckler. I question whether he's going to get the goal line carries. And I really think whoever the second running back is now in the market in the last week has coalesced around Justin Jackson. And I'm not going to argue with the market. Fine. Justin Jackson, that guy is going to get like 200 carries in like, Seven or eight touchdowns. It's going to be a valuable role, right? And then Chubb obviously has to share time with Hunt. And like, I know Chubb is great, but he has to be so great in order to exceed his 27th or 30th, depending on which model you use, expected fantasy points total. So I just can't fund him, like, I'm model based in my approach. So there's just no way I'm ever going to take a guy whose expected points diverge that much from their actual scoring. And then uh, who was the third back in that tier uh, of guys? Well, Barkley's that a
1: pretty easy fade. We don't think he's yeah, about Yeah, Barkley's the fade
0: just because of injury.
1: Right. And everything's and wrong around him. Both- the blind stinks, the coordinator stinks, the quarterback might stink. Uh, give us a quick word on Harris Mixon CEH.
0: Harris, I think. These are guys, he has guys in, in your first year. Yeah, I think Harris is is um I think is over under his over-under is forty-four catches. I'll smash that over all day. If he's healthy, I think he's going to catch like 60 passes and he's probably going to get, you know, 280 carries. That's that's a big workload, even if the line stinks. And we never really know that well how the lines are actually going to perform. It's sort of beyond our capabilities. So I think we should, you know, not put that much stock into our preseason evaluation of offensive lines. And Mixon. And then who was the third guy? Oh, uh, uh, Mixon, Mixon and CEH. I, I, I like Mix Mixon and CEH because just a lack of any plausible competition. And um, with Mixon, you see uh the just general usage and what could be a top 10 offense. And with Clyde Edwards Hilaire, you see not only the draft pedigree and the buy-in from the homes who basically signed off on his draft pick and lobbied for him, but you also see probably the number one projected offense in the NFL in terms of scoring. So there's just and very little competition for goal line carries on paper anyway, and also for targets out of the backfield.
1: Words of Michael Salfina, who, as I mentioned, is one of the co-hosts of the Breakfast Pable podcast, in addition to a bunch of other sites and gigs. Uh, Michael, give our listeners an idea where you're working this year and where they can keep up with you.
0: It looks like I'll be back for the, the chats at five thirty eight, which are every Monday. I do uh, fantasy sports for The Athletic. I also cover baseball cards. I actually uh, write uh, the backs of the baseball cards as well. Also obviously bet prep I'm, I'm the editor of bet prep so we provide historic trends related to games and players that are relevant in the present week so you could see pretty much like how any kind of like theory that you want to apply to these games how successful they've been historically in similar games
1: uh, throughout the point spread era. and you do the giving props podcast with Brad Feinberg too as well right
0: Yes, yes, I do, and Brad's a professional gambler. I cover the analytics side, so that makes it somewhat unique. I don't know if there's another podcast that has that combination so uh, and we also are are doing given futures now, which is going to be a, a weekly podcast where we keep updating uh, listeners to the current changes in the divisional uh, odds when uh, total odds and Super Bowl odds, and and as well as the awards, the fun stuff that you and I talk about so right. much.
1: And we know, you know, now now this stuff is available in so many more markets. So it's it's a fun it's a fun way to get invested in the season. Maybe you'll make some money. So check out some of that Michael Salfino stuff. We've been really excited to have him on the show today. Get his wisdom. One again, one of my longest, oldest friends in this industry, and somebody I really owe a lot to. He's been really good to me, and we we've, we've had our share of tussles, but this is actually. I mean, this, this, for the Salfino-Pianowski dynamic, this was like a zero of tension. There's no tension on this show. But, you know, check into the next breakfast table and we'll we'll see. Maybe we'll start elbowing each other again. You can follow Michael, by the way, on Twitter at Michael Salfino. You're welcome to follow me at Scott underscore Pianowski. The Yahoo handle is Yahoo Fantasy. And, of course, we have this whole suite of podcasts on a whole different number of topics. We'd like to feature this week that you check out the college football inquirer what's going on with nebraska ncaa investigation dan wetzel pete thamel and our old friend pat 40 at si are going to get together and talk about that they've been doing their thing for a while a really great three-man weave have we college football inquirer one of our featured podcasts over at yahoo sports tomorrow yahoo fantasy football forecast andy barons is in the big chair i don't know who the guest is but i i'm sure it's somebody great for Michael, for producer John, I'm Scott Pianowski. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Go check out Yahoo Fantasy. Go check out some of the premium stuff we got for you. Join another league, draft another team. We'll talk to you soon.